Last week, we talked about, uh, in Acts chapter 2, this remarkable outpouring of God's Spirit. And uh, the, it says the tongues of fire and that all of these people from all over, really this ent- entire huge area, regional area, uh, they heard for the first time, they heard the gospel, the powerful gospel message. 3,000 people on that day came to Christ. Now, uh, just to show you how amazing uh, that really is, I want to show you the map because it tells us in Acts uh, 2 that uh, they came from all over these areas. So I want to just show you this map of where they came from. And I want you to think about how remarkable it is as all these folks came to Jerusalem that somehow 3,000 came together uh, to find Jesus Christ because you talk about diversity. First of all, think about the commitment it took for many of them even to get to Jerusalem. For example, if you came from Rome, uh, you would have traveled 1,400 miles. Uh, If you came from Asia, you travel hundreds of miles, but you also had to cross the Mediterranean Sea. If you came from Pontus, that is actually in Turkey, that is 990 plus miles. And then here's what Mark Moore said, uh, scholar Mark Moore, and I, I love what he says about the significance of where they came from. He said this, this list is fascinating. Technically, it's not a list of languages, but of political regions, or more specifically, 11 geographic locations sandwiched between three ethnic identities. Just try to wrap your mind around all these folks coming to Jerusalem. And again, uh, some of them were uh, sold out to Judaism. Some of them are outliers and they just barely uh, learned about Judaism. Others, honestly, were just going to Jerusalem because that was the place to go. Uh, to have thousands of people coming from all over. And that, in their world, that was the world. Okay, So they're all coming together. And yet God, uh, miraculously, through those disciples was able to speak this crystal clear message and the world changed. And we also shared last week that it's easy to focus on the tongues of fire and that's really not the focus. Really the miracle was that they all understood in their language what was going on. Matter of fact, the only thing that even comes close in in our study group on Wednesday night, again, I want to encourage you on Wednesday nights, if you'll come here at six o'clock for our men and women, uh, we have everything set up for you uh, for our Bible studies. We go through the book of Acts. Uh, one of the comments, which I thought was really good, is if you look at the United Nations and they wear these headphones and they can understand their language, uh, they didn't need the headphones in Acts chapter 2, but they understood clearly and they realized that they needed something in their life. Something was missing, and that was Jesus. But out of that, those 3,000 What happened next? Now think about it. Here's all these folks from all over this region, from different political backgrounds and uh, different traditions, and here they are thrown together. And what I absolutely love, and we're going to get in this in Acts 2, 42 through 47, is that they developed four priorities. And that's what we're going to look at, the four priorities of the early church. It was relevant then, and guess what? They're relevant right now. And the church today, if they will cling to these same four things, that's how the church grows. So follow with me, starting in verse 42, chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
all the believers were together and everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread into their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Matter of fact, we're going to boil it down to verse 42. And let's read 42 together. It's right up here on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. So if you were preparing a sermon, uh, do you have to be that sharp? I mean, really, here's your four points. What were their four priorities? And here they are. Number one is the priority of the apostles' teaching. And their teaching was motivated by the priority of preaching and teaching Jesus. So as you're reading through the book of Acts and throughout, you're going to hear about the apostles. Uh, You need to know, first of all, what separated them from everybody else. In other words, uh, if an apostle stood up and they said, that's one of the apostles, what qualified them to be an apostle? Number one, and this is good if you're taking notes, is an apostle of Jesus would have had to follow Jesus his entire earthly ministry. So from the time that Jesus was baptized by John and to the point of his death on the cross and the resurrection, the the apostles were with him that entire journey. It's estimated that in his public ministry, Jesus, that he walked 3,100 miles, 3,100 miles. And nearly every one of those miles, they walked with him. If you really want to get to know someone, walk with them side by side and just share life together. And that's exactly what they did. Over those two and a half to three years, think about the lessons of Jesus they heard. To have a front row seat for the Sermon on the Mount. Can you imagine? Or the life lessons that they learned. The small groups, the large groups, meeting people in their homes, the times that they had meals together, and ultimately, and maybe this is a guy thing, I think in the evenings, sitting around a fire, talking about what happened that day. Now, this isn't like going to Disney and going, that ride is outrageous. I mean, this is like life-changing. Like, did you see what Jesus did? How he fed those 5,000? Did you see how Jesus healed? Did you see who Jesus is talking to? Do you see how he just lit up the leaders of this community? These religious leaders and the hypocrisy? There's something about Jesus. I don't think they hardly slept. I think they stayed up to the early morning hours and night if not saying, I can't wait to see what Jesus does tomorrow. And so you got to understand that as they listened, those people in the early church listened to the apostles' teaching, what were they listening to? They weren't listening to the apostles talk about themselves No, Uh, we know from the Great Commission, Jesus said uh, the way to make a disciple is teaching them to obey what? Everything I commanded you. All the words that I've shared with you, the lessons and the way that I led, you need to lead. As a matter of fact, uh, this comes from an organization called the Aspen Corporation. And I love uh, what Aspen has done. They said these are the, the steps of leadership. And I would say these are the steps of discipleship. And it, it, it was the way of Jesus. And here's how it works. Step one, I do, 
You watch, we talk. Step two, I do, you help, we talk. Number three, you do. I help, we talk. Number four, you do, I watch, and then we'll talk. And then last of all, you do it, and somebody else is watching. It's literally working yourself out of a job, and that's what discipleship is, that you literally are investing in others to the point of you allow them to do it. Uh, One of the, the key things we started years ago on the West Side is we developed teams and we wanted to get as many people, and we used to talk about this, out of the bleachers and on the playing field. Like, you got to serve. you got to work. you you got to work one with another. I mean, because that's what it's all about. Church was never designed to be a spectator sport. Never. We are a community to serve one another. And that's exactly what the apostles did. Another thing about the apostles is an apostle had to be appointed by the Lord. If you remember Jesus in Matthew 3 and Mark 10 stayed up all night and he prayed for the future apostles. That's how important leadership always is. We should always be praying fervently. And Jesus was for those apostles. And then number three is an apostle of the Lord had to have seen Jesus after his resurrection. So when they shared Jesus, they told the whole story. They can share, I was with Jesus when... And they can talk about Jesus on the cross. And here's the most important. They can talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Isn't that powerful? And so when they would gather together as an early church, they said, no matter what, we're going to talk about Jesus today. We are going to get into the life of Jesus. And I'm telling you what an important lesson for all of us is to realize the early church got it right. It was the greatest lesson they could possibly teach and preach And that was the lesson of Jesus. And then number two priority was fellowship. Now, we know from the World English Dictionary that fellowship is defined as the act of people sharing activities, goals, interests, trials, troubles together in a group. But fellowship, I'm telling you, is so much more than that. Uh, You can be in a group for years that does a lot of good things. But let's be honest, that's not biblical fellowship. Biblical fellowship, the best word is the word koinonia. It is a deep, deep community. It's holy unity. It's living life together. In fact, if you go through the book of Acts, that word together, 24 times. We're built for community. We aren't built to do this in isolation and independence. We are built to be together. And that's what koinonia is all about. It's not just gathering for the Sunday morning worship experience. No, fellowship is what happens outside of Sunday morning. It's serving one another. It's coming together even in the midst of crisis. It's having and sharing your fears, and it's also sharing your tears. Fellowship is such a deep thing, and Koinonia describes it so well. I was uh, doing some study on that word Koinonia, And I came across an organization called the World Harvest Outreach. And they have a thing, and you can go on YouTube, and it just simply uh, was phrased, um, so what is koinonia? And then they described how their group uh, experiences koinonia. And I just want to share briefly a little bit of what they shared. I love this. Koinonia is a movement 
It's a restoration that happens deep inside you, beginning from the inside out. It begins to resolute in your belly, and then there's a gentle whisper and a holy roar in response to an authentic introduction to Jesus and others. Koinonia is a culture of love that saturates broken and weary hearts until wounds become testimonies, until every person's unique identity as beloved sons and daughters have permission and anticipation to be fully declared and welcome, no longer limited by fear and control. I love this. Koinonia is not an event. Koinonia is a homecoming to one another. Listen, you got to know from the bottom of my heart that um, uh, one of the things that is at the very top of what we're trying to move forward with on the west side is to not just reestablish as many life groups as possible, but we're going to try to get everybody that desires to be in a smaller group. We're going to try to do everything we can to get you in that type of a group because koinonia is where life change happens. If you notice that this is where the change happened, it didn't happen in mass gatherings. It happened in these smaller koinonia type groups that you began to really share life with each other. If you notice the very next priority, number three is the priority of the breaking bread. I want you to think about what that means to you and what it meant to them. Literally, it meant the breaking of bread. And uh, it's a celebration of the Lord's Supper. Jude 12 even calls it a love feast. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17, it talks about the unity of the bread, one body. But here's the thing is, uh, in our culture many times, communion has almost become an independent thing. And it was designed for community. It really was designed for community. Matter of fact, it was actually uh, what the Hebrews did is they made what was commonly known as these cakes. It was a very thin type, uh, almost brittle, and they would literally break it. That's why they call it the breaking of bread. And then it was passed on to others. It was really all about community. When Jesus had the Last Supper, he didn't do it by himself. He did it with the community. And so when we come together, that's what communion is all about. And it's a very important part of what we do, the breaking of the bread. Uh, many times I think we hear the phrase breaking of bread means the breaking of the body of Christ. But we know that there wasn't even a bone broken with Jesus. Uh, it represents to remember Jesus, but Jesus meant for us to take this meal together. Matter of fact, if you remember in this text, later on it tells us that many times when they would do this, they would do it when? At mealtime. They would actually share meals together, and part of the meal was they would break the bread, and they would share that. I'll be honest, I, I really do miss the way that we used to do communion, uh, that we allowed you plenty of time to come to the table, and if you wanted to come with your family, your life group, or it didn't matter. You, you could do whatever you wanted, um, and the fact that we're serving you, it's, I understand it, that we need to do it that way. Uh, I don't think God ever designed us to have these double cup things. You know, I mean, I think God wants us to experience it. And communion, for a lot of you, uh, be, depending on your background, uh, is understood a little differently by everybody, depending on how you're raised. I was raised in a very strict uh, Church of Christ, um, and so there was one way to do communion. You know, we used to have those huge chairs 
those big thrones. Remember, we'd have the, the elders would sit in those big thrones, and they'd come out, and they would, and some of you know exactly, and they'd have this big trays, and they would pass them. I mean, it was a big deal, you know. Um, but Marie and I were in a Bible study years ago, young married Bible study, and especially at Sherwood Oaks, one of the things I love is Sherwood Oaks is a melting pot. So as we're having this Bible study, and we start asking everybody's background, we realize it was uh, Pentecostal background, Catholic background, Lutheran backgrounds, and, uh, and boy, they, they all felt a little bit differently about communion. And they ask us, now, why do you do it every week? And we're like, because <laughs> we're right. You know, I mean, we, that's just, what do you mean, would we do it every week? And they're like, well, you know, our background, we don't take communion every week. And we're like, well, that's, why, wouldn't you, why wouldn't you take it every week? And this is the part that stepped on our toes. They said, well, one thing is, it doesn't seem like you take it seriously. Uh, what? <laughs> of course we do. And boy, they, they said, really? Because we noticed that a lot of people, that's when they, they must be writing their offering checks because we can hear them tear it during, and we can hear them talking. And I think it's got routine. And I remember I, I just kind of sensed God saying, why don't you start listening and quit talking? And as I listened, I realized that sometimes we do take it for granted. Trays get passed. We just, we're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch. And we're thinking about all these other things. But when they shared one to another, they didn't get in a hurry at all. It was such a different way of doing communion than really, honestly, the way we do communion. But when they got together, they pointed out that this is one of our priorities, that they do communion one with another. <clears throat> and the last priority was prayer. Man, did they pray. They prayed prayers of thanksgiving and praise, confession, repentance. They prayed through scriptures. Man, did they pray. They prayed for deliverance. They prayed for direction. And they prayed as if they would never see each other again because you know what? Persecution was real. You know, we are going through a lot right now with COVID, but I'm telling you folks, COVID doesn't compare to the persecution of the early church. And so can you imagine as they would take communion with one another and they began to pray and then they would leave each other? You know that they thought we may never see each other again. So my guess is their prayers were pretty intense. And our prayers need to be intense. Some of you may have heard the theologian, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, one thing you need to know when you hear so many of his writings were during World War II from Germany, standing up against the Nazis, and he was executed. But listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said during World War II about community and prayer. Here's what he said. Christianity means community. No Christian community is more or less than this, whether it is a brief single encounter or daily fellowship for years. Christian community is only to belong to one another through and in Jesus Christ. There it is. When you pray, that's how you pray. Jesus, it's all about you. Last week, last Sunday night, we had an outside prayer service and uh, we set up a mic so that we would share the scriptures and then we left the mic open so anybody who felt led 
could come up and pray about what specifically we were praying for. We prayed for our political leaders, and we prayed for people that are hurting and needed Jesus, and we prayed for our country. I mean, we just, we prayed a lot of different things. And I'm telling you, and I'm not just saying this, but I looked down at my watch, and like an hour went by like that. There's actually an old hymn called Sweet Hour Prayer. And you ever sat down and tried to really pray for an hour? And like 10 minutes later, you're like, I'm such a wretch. You know, you just have such a hard time. And you know when prayer really flies by? It's when you do it together as a community. And they were sold out to prayer. And it mattered so much. And what I love about this community is verse 44. Their priorities, as we shared before, they just over and over, they just kept doing those four things. And the result was, it says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. Now think about that. Uh, Remember the map? Do you remember where these 3,000 came from? What do you mean they had everything in common? They looked differently. Their traditions were different. Where they grew up, totally different. Their dialect, their accent, everything was different. I mean, we know what that's like, don't we? Imagine if, uh, instead of an early church gathering, imagine we were going to treat Bloomington like Jerusalem, and we invited people from 1,000 miles away, from the north, south, east, and west, and we said, in order to have a fellowship meal, we're all going to bring chili, okay? Would the chili be different? Okay, so you're eating chili from the south, and guess what? Your face burns off, okay? So you're like, oh, wow. And then you eat chili from the north, and they're, they call it chili, but it's more chowder, and they're putting fish in it, okay? And then people start eating this stuff from Indiana, like, what's up with the noodles? You know, what's up with the no-? you know? And you say, well, if you can't even agree about chili, what did they have in common? They only had one thing in common. Only one thing. What was it? Jesus. That's it. That's all they had in common. And folks, that's all we need to have in common. Amen. That's all we need. It doesn't matter who you're going to vote for. You're like, oh, don't go there. Okay. It doesn't matter what you feel concerning masks. It doesn't matter. We are not going to find common ground there. Can you agree? (laughs) Seriously, folks, you're not going to find common. But you know where you're going to find common ground? Jesus. Jesus. Amen. And that when we leave this place, do you know it's going to change the world, our neighbors, our family that don't know Jesus? It isn't what we believe politically. It doesn't matter what we believe about COVID. It's how we live for Jesus. That's it. It changed the world then. It'll change the world today. I guarantee it. The priorities that they made, priorities, need to be the church's priorities today. Is that relevant today? Absolutely. Absolutely. If we cling to Jesus and his teachings, if we cling to breaking bread with one another, if we cling to praying and earnestly pleading with Jesus, if we, everything we do, we draw each other in fellowship to be closer to one another so that we can be more like Jesus, the church will grow. The church, once again, will change the world.